Hi, this is Jackie Phillips. Hi, this is Steve Romain. Welcome to Reset. On Power 91.1 FM WTYJ. Reset because you do Hello, everybody, it. and welcome to Reset. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. This is a new setup for us. <laughs> it's a little different, but uh, hey, that's a new shirt you got on. Yes. And is that one of Joelle Allen's shirts? Yes, it is. One of Joelle Allen's. Um, I love them. So they're like perfect for this show and, you know, for everybody. Wow. So. And if people want to know more about their designs and their shirts, how, they, how can they find out? Well, she has an amazing Instagram page. So you can go to Joelle Allen on Instagram. And she has joelleallencollection.com. Um, and... They have a really beautiful website, easy to navigate, and you can go from there. The cool thing about them is that they pair the outfits together so you can kind of see like how, which wear the shirt with, you know, how it will look. So it's, it's great. And it's good with, for girls that have a body. You know, it's like real women that wear these clothes. So it's, it's <laughs> a great company. I love them. And the material is amazing. Awesome. Well, we have a real woman on the line today. As a matter of fact, she's one of my good friends. We go way back, actually, before I even was a champion. And we had, I had the honor and privilege of being on the U.S. team when she won her first world title. But she is a world record holder. She is a nine-time world champion, and she is triple crowned. Do you know what that means, Jackie? No, explain it. <laughs> <laughs> that, means, that means she can kick butt with her arms tied behind her back, standing on her head. I mean, she's bad. <laughs> that literally means that she can, she's a winner in forms, fighting, and weapons, and that's really difficult to do. Most people only specialize in one area, but she's able to win in all areas of competition in martial arts. So let's welcome Christine Bannon Rodriguez to our show. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Welcome Thank you. to Reset. It's great to be here. So, Christine, I, I know you've been doing martial arts for forever. Can mm -hmm. you give us, or just for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, or for even for those who are familiar with you, maybe they don't know your story, can you share with us how you got into the martial arts and how you became a, a nine-time world champion? Well, I didn't start like most people that get picked on and, you know, have problems and, and stuff like that. I just started uh, with a girlfriend after school. It was an after school activity. My parents were very strict. So if I wasn't, you know, playing a sport or doing something like that, there was, uh, you know, not much going out on weekdays. So, <laughs> you know, I tried basketball, softball, uh, gymnastics, figure skating. I mean, I, I did it all. I mean, you know, I was okay at all of them, but just nothing really struck me that mm. I, I had a passion for that would push me to be, you know, outstanding in that in that particular particular sport. So, you know, a girlfriend said, you know, my brother's taking karate, it's right down the street, and, you know, you want to come try it out, and, and I was like, okay, you know, so, you know, I signed up with her, and um, I would say in less than a year, she probably, you know, fizzled out and quit, mm. but... I fell in love with it. It was, uh, back then there weren't many women in, in it or females. Um, so it was, you know, basically a, a male dominant sport, but you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun and it was very individualized. It wasn't, you know, sit on the bench if you're not the greatest player and, you know, you, you participated the, the entire time and it really went according to the individual. So if I worked real hard, I would test quicker than, than other people. If, uh, you know, back then we had like two and a half hour classes and I would go like almost every day of the week, you know, <laughs> so it's a little different than it is now, but, um, you know, I just fell in love with it and, you know, I started to compete, I think probably within the first year of, of training, um, you know, but the competition was fun, but when I, when I made my black belt, it was when I really, you know, had that desire to be number one. And, mm -hmm. you know, back then they, Karate Illustrated would rate the top competitors and it was only black belt. So they, you know, as an underbelt, you wouldn't get rated. Um, so when I was in the black belt division, I was like, oh, I want to see my name in the magazine. I want to be number one <laughs> in New England, you know? So, 
you know, I always did the forms fighting and weapons, and back then they used to have breaking at a lot of tournaments, mm. so I would enter that as well. Oh, to, I didn't know that about you. Wow. Yeah. So I used to try to do every division that I possibly could, and, uh, you know, then it, it just went from there. I mean, I, I set short-term goals of being number one, um, you know, smaller goals leading to those bigger goals, and, you know, my goal was to be number one in New England, which I achieved, and then I wanted to be number one in the country, and I achieved that. And then it was off to the World Championships, and and uh, my first one, as you remember, I, you know, won a gold in forms, but I took a bronze in fighting, and I went back and I said, I don't, I don't care if I win another trophy anywhere else, I, I got to go back here, and, and I won three gold medals, you know. Wow. And wow. That's something that um, no one had ever accomplished before at one world championship winning three and I did uh and then I I heard a lot of the male talk around the country I mean around the world you know especially a lot of other countries still have you know where the women walk behind the men and you know obey what they say and you know it's not that equality like we have here in the United States so you know being a female accomplishing that there was a lot of talk oh it was a fluke thing and you know, that could never happen again. And she just got lucky. And, you know, so I was like, oh, they said that. Oh, now I'm really going to go back and do it again. <laughs> so so I kind of set that world record the first time and then going back doing it a second time, winning three golds again. Um, you know, at that point, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think the record's been broken yet. So, Not that I know of. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Yes. What was the drive? Where did you get the drive from to be competitive? Were you always competitive? I mean, you talked about doing other sports, but not really clicking with them. Like, were you competitive in your own way? Yeah, in my own way. I mean, whether I'm playing cards at home or basketball with, with friends or, you know, I, I think I was always a very competitive person and, you know, always wanted to win no matter what I was doing. You know, I, I wasn't happy just having fun playing the game. I, I liked I like that drive to win. And, uh, you know, and I, I think, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's just that feeling of being out there and the adrenaline and everything and, and just wanting to be the best that's out there. And, and, you know, there are plenty of times that I had won a second or I won a first, but lost in the grand championship. And, you know, I still went home, you know, where most people would be, you know, look at all the trophies I won and, you know, and I was on stage in the grand and I'd be like really mad because I, di I didn't win the absolute highest title of winning the grand championship and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that drive and, and coming back, you know, even the same day after a tournament, wanting to get back in the gym and train harder and, you know, using that, you know, where some people can get down on themselves, you know, I use that energy of like, all right, now I'm going to try even harder, you know, and, and work harder for it. Wow. And then you went on to do television and movies, WMCA Masters, WMAC Masters, excuse me, right? Yeah. Lady Lightning. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and you were in The Karate Kid. Yes. Right. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, the Karate Kid was the first movie I ever did. Um, I was very good friends with Pat Johnson, who, you know, was a phenomenal, he was you know, great martial artist. He was uh, part of the undefeated Chuck Norris team fighting back in back in the day. But, you know, he got more involved in film work and, you know, was one of the top film directors or fight choreographers mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And he had done, um, you know, the uh, all the Karate Kid movies before the most recent one. Um, but uh, he did all the Karate Kid, Ninja Turtle movies, uh, all kinds of stuff. Mortal you know, Kombat. That, right, Mortal Kombat. And I have a funny, sto funny story about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, he was filming uh, the next Karate Kid, which was with Hilary Swank, not, not Ralph Macchio. Um, so he was filming that in Boston, which is not far from where I, I am from. And they were filming, and I guess, the stunt woman that they had, she did like, uh, you know, where um, she slides down a ladder, you know, on, on the rungs and, and slides down. She jumps onto the pizza cart, pizza delivery car, you know, almost hits her and she jumps on. And, you know, she did some really nice stunts. But then when it came to the martial arts and the actual fighting, you know, she, I'm sure she didn't lie about, you know, her, her martial arts. 
but she was probably a lower rank, you know, like an orange belt or something mm -hmm. in martial arts. She wasn't world champion level. And, you know, and this is what the movie was all about is about karate. So, right. um, you know, so she did the other stunts very, very well. He was very happy with it, but he wanted someone with a lot more speed and, and um, precision and everything else with the martial arts. So he gave me a call and asked me if I'd be interested in going down and meeting the director and meeting Hillary and stuff. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove up there and we were like, you know, kind of like an exact fit, you know, on height and, and, and weight and everything. And, uh, you know, I got hired and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I knew what I was doing on my martial arts, but, you know, when, when action starts and cut and doing this and doing that, I mean, I was lost, but it was a great experience. And, and from that day forward, I, I fell in love with it. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, you're doubling for someone. So you're not, always getting that right you know it's not your face behind mm -hmm, the camera mm -hmm. and stuff but you know you want to make them look as in the in that part of the movie look as dynamic as possible so you know that's where i started and i started doing um stunt work for people and then you know with wmac masters i played myself as lady lightning mm -hmm. um you know so there's been some some films that i've done work as myself extreme fighter with don wilson and cynthia rothrock and um some other celebrities in that one so you know, I've done a little bit of both where I play myself or stunt double for someone. And, wow, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, Batman and Robin was, uh, I, I stunt double for Alicia Silverstone in that one. Um, that was a lot of fun with, with Uma Thurman and, uh, wow. you know, George Clooney were in, was in that one and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a lot of fun. And then my, uh, my funny story was right after Batman and Robin, I filmed that in like December, came home for Christmas, and I was going with Pat Johnson to Thailand to film Mortal Kombat. You know, I was going to double for, um, Katar, I, I forgot who it was, Sonia or Katar, one of them, I forgot, <laughs> but I was going to double. And, you know, so we were leaving a couple of days after New Year's, and, you know, it was going to be a three-month job, and... You know, I was like, wow, I'm going to be in another country and, you know, I'm leaving my students. It, it, was, a, right. it was a big deal rather than, you know, working for a few weeks here and there mm -hmm. and back and forth. So I uh, had to go because it was Thailand. I had to go and get my shots. So I had to go get all kinds of malaria and all this pills mm -hmm. and shots. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the travel clinic at the hospital and, you know, then their normal procedure is, you know, is there any chance of being pregnant? No, no matter what, you go for an x-ray, no matter what, they always ask you that. And I'm like, okay. I, I guess there's always a chance, you know. So they said, they said, well, we need to do a blood, you know, you can't get any of this medication or shots unless we test you. Mm. So they tested me and I was pregnant. I was like, oh, oh wow. I was shocked. <laughs> so technically when I always bust Dante up and say, you know, you know, you're a movie star before you were even born because you were, you were in Batman and Robin and, and I didn't even know I was pregnant. <laughs> so, I hope you weren't doing any crazy stunts, but maybe that's where he gets his talent from, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I did, you know, but, you know, it, it, it was early. And, you know, they say when you, I mean, I trained up until the day, day before I delivered. So, um, you know, of course, watching wow. con contact to the body and stuff like yeah. that, I was careful with, but anything else, you know, I, I still trained hard, but of course I had a, I had to skip Thailand and, and I was disappointed. I mean, it would have been a fun, fun job. And I, I actually got a chance to do the Mortal Kombat TV show later on. Um, I think Dante was only like six or seven months old and, and I did uh, some stunt doubling on that. So, but you know, so I got a little bit of Mortal Kombat, but not the whole movie there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What were some stunts that you've done that you were like, oh boy, I, I'm a little like, was there anything that really threw you where you were like a little scared? Because I'm sure you've been in a lot of situations where you know like you can do it with confidence, but you never know what you're getting into when you're doing stunts for a movie, you know? Right. Um, probably, you know, nothing that I've... Uh was too scared on. I mean, the only thing I remember one time was uh, doing the WMAC Masters show and we had this big dome that they used to fight in and uh, Pat Johnson, who was um, 
directing at the time. And what we would do is, if you ever saw the show, it was two main characters, but then they were all attacked by these ninjas all the time. And, and we were technically the ninjas. So if, if it wasn't our role, we were dressed up as ninjas. And so at one point, um, the ninjas would climb up this dome and then rope rappel down and then attack the guys inside the dome. And, you know, there was no safety on, on the rope. It was just technically holding on and, and manually rope rappelling. Wow. And so, so Pat Johnson, was he's very, uh, very old-fashioned, you know. Uh, anytime I'm with him, he yells at me because he's like, let me get the door, you know. And, you know, he's, he's like, you don't open the, your own door. I, the man does it, you know. So he's very old-fashioned in that way. And so he was always giving the job to the guys about doing, like, climbing up the dome and, and doing anything that was kind of difficult or, yeah. or dangerous, so I said, you know, how come you never let me do that? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of put the bug in his ear and he's like, fine, if you want to try it, go ahead. You know, so I was like, okay. <laughs> and when I got up there, I was like, wow, you know, like you don't realize some things don't, don't look that high to you. And I'm not afraid of heights by, mm. by any means. But when I got up there, I was like, wow, this is high, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it doesn't look that high. But I don't know what it was, maybe 25 feet, whatever. But, you know, you have no safety, and, and you're just rope propelling, again, without anything attached to you. You just got to – and when you jump in the hole, you don't know if that rope's got you or not <laughs> until you go. So so that was kind of like a little uh, – you know, made me a little nervous. But once I did it one time, I was like, okay, I'm good with this. <laughs> what was, I was like, in the hole? Was there anything to catch you, God forbid, like a net or like a mat or anything or no? No, no, just just the floor, and you had to time it, you know, so you came right into the fighters at the right time without landing on top of them, and, you know, when they were in a specific move, so then they would turn and face you, and here you come down, and so, you know, I had a lot of a lot of timing involved in everything, too. Wow. That's really did you scary. Did you ever get hurt with any of it? Um, no, you know, luckily, knock on wood, no, uh, no serious injuries. I mean, you know, I know, I know a lot of people you know, that have done, um, a good friend of mine, Cheryl Wheeler, she, she really got, um, injured, you know, on a, on a movie set, um, be, being swung into, it was supposed to be the fake wall and, and she actually hit, you know, where it was an actual wall. So, you know, I have known a lot of people that have, have been injured from doing different stunts, but other than a couple bangs and bruises, I mean, nothing, nothing we're not used to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you find that most stunt doubles have backgrounds similar to yours, like in martial arts or some sort of, you know, training like that? Um, I think a lot of them do if they're, you know, involved in like fight choreography and, and doing fight scenes. But some of them are just, you know, like the most outstanding motorcyclist, you know, that and, and they do a motor, they're good at motorcycle stunts or you know, they always seem to have something that they're very, very good at, and, and it draws them into the stunt work because they're looking for a great motorcycle driver or they're looking for a great person that does rope rappelling or, you know, something like that, mountain climbing, you know, and, and they're used to doing those kind of um, type of sport. And that kind of, I think, probably a lot of people get pulled into the martial, in, into the movies doing something like that, and then... And then it goes from there doing other stunts. So, you know, I had the chance to work on Underdog, which was, you know, a fun movie that I didn't do actually any martial arts in. It was just, you know, taking a fall and, and doing some driving and, you know, different stuff like that. So, so that was different. I'm always used to doing the actual fight scenes and either getting hit or hitting somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of great women martial artists. Have you looked up to any of them? Have any of them been like your hero or you idolized them in any way or try to like model after them? Uh, good question. I mean, I, I would probably say more on the males that I have really, you know, as far as people that I've really looked up to. I mean, there are some great martial artists. I mean, Arlene Lemus and, and Linda Denley were probably, you know, two of my toughest fighters mm -hmm. when I was coming up. And, you know, 
of course, Cynthia Rothrock has, has achieved an awful lot in, 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 the, in the forms. So, I mean, I, I've had some that I've looked up to in the forms and weapons, some that I've looked up to in the fighting. But, um, you know, I'd probably say, you know, if, if you were going to say who's your favorite martial artist or, or, you know, people that you look up to would probably be more in the male category. And, mm. you know, I would say Pat Johnson, um, definitely. Um, Mike Stone was, wow. you know, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, just a great motivation. Both of them, uh, Mike Stoney and Pat Johnson, just always in a in a good mood and always upbeat and and very very positive. And um, you know, I really look up to a lot of their achievements and mm -hmm. and different things like that. Mm -hmm. I have a question. It's more like a, you know, I'm obviously a layman in the martial arts um, understanding, but when you're growing up doing it. Are you only fighting other women or because when you were growing up, it wasn't as popular yet. You said like, you know, not a lot of people knew about it like they do now. Were you fighting boys too? Or it was always like women and women and boys and boys. Well, in the school, even like right now, we're probably like 50, 50, as far as male and female, um, I fight the men all the time, you know, in the school. But in competition, nowadays, I mean, boys and girls are separated, uh, even down to the little six-year-olds, they have a girls' division and a boys' division, and the same thing with the adults, um, they're separated. So, but back then, I was 13 when I started, so yeah. I was technically considered a junior, yes. and the rules were not as strict as they are now, mm -hmm. so what happened was I would do forms and weapons with the juniors. So that was usually against boys as well. And then, you know, at 13 years old, fighting junior division, I, some of those boys at 13, I mean, are huge. Some yeah. of them, yeah. Some <laughs> Don't of them know their own <laughs> yeah. But I would have been against the boys at that time, but the rules were not as strict as they are now. You have to be 18 to, to fight in an adult division. Um, so back then, they didn't care. So I, I did forms and weapons in the juniors. And then in fighting, I went in the women's division. Mm. And I was just as big as I am now. I mean, my, my size hasn't really changed since I was 13. Mm. You know, girls kind of reach their immaturity uh, earlier than boys. And I would fight in the women's division. But the women's division back then was just one division. So it was white to black belt. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So my first, my first tournament... I ended up fighting Larry Kelly, if anyone remembers Larry Kelly. I mean, great fighter from, from Massachusetts. Um, unfortunately, he recently passed away um, from a car accident. But uh -huh. he, uh, his wife was a black belt. And, you know, I ended up fighting her in my first tournament. So I was an orange belt fighting a black belt, and <laughs> let alone uh, she was a much higher rank than she was a woman, you know. So, right. so that, was, uh, that was tough, but... Uh, good question on that. We definitely like, I, I still like fighting the men because I think it makes you, you know, more up on you. And, and if you're on the street, that's probably who's going to attack you is, is a male, not a, not a woman. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I th thank you because I find that really interesting because, I mean, even like playing a sport, if you're playing in both divisions, you tend to be better at it. Because yes. Boys are stronger normally, not always, but normally, you know, they're bigger than us, stronger. So you have to try a little harder. And you right. learn a little different thing than you would if you were just in your own division. So Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad it's separated now. Um, yeah, you know, b the biggest reason I, I see is for a boy, let alone a male, but I mean, I mean, a, an adult. Yeah. But for a boy, even though you could be the same size, it's kind of a no-win situation for a boy because, you know, it, it, if he beats up a girl, I mean, he looks like he looks like a looks bully. Like a bully. And, yeah, <laughs> and if he loses to a girl, he is never going to hear the end of it. You know, right. yeah. so so it's a tough situation. I I feel for the boys more than I do the, the females on that. So I'm I'm glad they have it separated, and and girls aren't really put in that position of either getting getting beat up or. Uh, you know, beating up another guy and then, you know, feeling bad that they get picked on after that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't even think of that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
better to be separated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the name of our show is Reset. And so we're wondering, do you have a research story you would like to share with our audience? Oh, boy, I probably have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of them. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think with anything you, you get, you can get to a low, you know, where, where you feel like you just, you know, you're not moving forward or, or, or you get depressed about certain things. And, you know, I mean, I, I would probably say my biggest reset would have been um, back in 1990. I was part of uh, Trans World Oil and the Atlantic team. Mm-hmm. And very famous team. I mean, Billy Blanks and Nasty Anderson and Linda Denley. And I mean, everybody was on that it's like team. It's the who's who of the martial arts. Oh, actually. it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Kevin Thompson and I were the top. Uh, top money winners on the team because we would win all three divisions, mm-hmm. two of us. Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, you had someone like Billy Blanks that might have been winning the grand championship or or someone over myself like John Fernet or somebody in mm-hmm. forms, they might have been. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, so we we ended up being the top money winners because we were getting it from all three, three categories there. So I was part of that team and then um, I lost my, my, my father in, in February of 90. And then, uh, yeah, February of 1990. And then my mother got diagnosed with uh, basically the worst breast cancer that you could possibly get. And the survival rate was very low. And it's still very low for that type of breast cancer. So, stage, stage four, HER2? Uh, well, it wasn't so much the stage. It's called inflammatory breast cancer, so it's not where you get a lump. It, it's it's just uh, something that goes through your bloodstream, and it's it's very hard to to find it early, uh, and it's just a very aggressive type of cancer. Mm. So, um, so she was diagnosed with that right after my father had passed away, and my fa- my father was forty eight. She was forty four. Oh my wow. goodness! So. Wow. I lost both of them in the same year. So um, she passed away in December. And my husband now, uh, Don, we had always been putting off our wedding because it was like every weekend was a tournament. So mm. <laughs> we were kind of consumed with that. And, <laughs> and you know, it wasn't like a big rush of getting married. We were, we were content. And then I said, you know, I, I let's get married before you know something happens if, if to my mom I want her to be there and mm. you know I want her to walk me down the aisle mm. so she did and she really fought hard up until that point you know so when I came back from my honeymoon I mean she literally walked me down the aisle and, wow. and did everything and I was gone for a week for my honeymoon and came back and I think I stayed one night with Don and I ended up having to stay with her for the next several several weeks while wow. she was um, you know on hospice and stuff. Hospice. So, um, so right after that happened, uh, um, Chuck Merriman had told me that I was no longer going to be a part of the trans world team. And wow. that was, uh, it was a shocker because, you know, as far as following rules and, and doing what you're supposed to do and winning and making money and everything else. I mean, I was right on top of everything. I mean, you could never, never say, well, it was because you were late for all these tournaments or late mm-hmm. for these meetings or you missed mm-hmm. your division. I mean, there was mm-hmm. no excuse. It, it was just pretty much because Don was coaching the, the Paul Mitchell team. Uh-huh. And Conflict of interest. Yeah. So for years, the Paul Mitchell team were just, you know, brand new rookies out there and they started to get better and better and better. And then it became more of a competition for that team, for trans world team. So he felt that it was a a conflict of interest and, and that, you know, I should be with my husband and, and, you know, not be split and divided and be on that team. So, so technically I was thrown off the team. So that was like the biggest shocker. I mean, and, and this happened like weeks after my mother passed away. So, so it was like, you know, it was just a bad year, you know, it, it just, it was very hard. I have a little brother who's seven years younger than me. So I was, uh, you know, all of a sudden became a legal guardian of his and, and it was, it was a lot. So, you know, I just, 
you know, just said, well, all right, I'm going to be the first female on uh, Paul Mitchell team because he's going to put me on that team now. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just going to, you know, stop, continue breaking records. And, you know, I just, I just uh, continued with that drive. And, and, you know, going into the dojo, I think, I, I don't know, I'm sure you can probably say the same thing, but you're having a bad day or a bad week or something, you know, good friend passes away or, or something like that. You, you go into the school and it, it's like medicine, you know, it's like you forget about everything on the outside and, and, you know, you just train or you teach. And, you know, I, I mean, I never take that. A student doesn't come in and say, you know, oh my God, she's in a bad mood. We're going to get killed today. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I never take that anger or, or depression or anything like that into the school um, you know, smile on my face and patting everyone on the back and, you know, let's, mm. let's work hard. And, and so, you know, staying away from the school was definitely not the answer for me. I mean, I needed to be here and, and, you know, it just made me push even harder because, you know, I had so many things on the outside that were going wrong. I just wanted to, you know, um, make my parents proud from where they were and you know and and that's kind of like why I kept my last name it was it was you know not so much a lot of people do it because you know the the female thing and want you know want not wanting to change and be what but it was like you know I just lost gonna you know probably gonna lose my mother as well as just lost mm -hmm. my father and I just mm -hmm. said you know people know me as Bannon and you know, through history of the martial arts. And I just wanted to keep that name going. Mm. And that's why I, you know, kind of hyphenated my name at that time. That was more my decision than anything else. Do the kids have both names too? Uh, no, no, they just have Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow. a, it's a long thing to sign, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a very tough time to get through. So martial arts helped you get through that, is what you're saying, like just being in the dojo, training, keeping your Absolutely. mind right and focused. So are there other tips you would give people or are there three tips in particular you would give people who are going through a tough time, who are resetting? Uh, I know recently you just had hip surgery, right? Yes. Right. So that's a reset in itself as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. I, I would say, you know, the martial arts pretty much teaches you about that positive attitude and, and that mindset, you know, we can sit here, I can sit here and, and spend five minutes thinking about how bad things might be, or I can spend that five minutes thinking about how grateful I am that, you know, I got a, a roof over my head and I have this and that, and the, you know, why spend your time thinking on the negative things? I mean, they're going to be there no matter what, spend that time thinking or, or talking about or, or focusing on the positive, you know, and I, I think I've used that all the way back into competition because I would go out, I would see thousands of people out at the stage and, and I have to perform in front, of, in front of them. And, you know, I, I would think, you know, if I sit here and think, what if I fall? What if I slip? What if I make a mistake? You know, if I keep thinking that that's what's going through my head, that's what's going to happen, you know, mm -hmm. cause that's all you're focusing on. So I would just go out there and say, you know, what if I nail this? What if I, you know, just do a flawless routine? And, and that's all I would picture in my head is going out there and, and just nailing it and being perfect and, and, you know, picturing the audience clapping and, you know, so it, it's all of what you focus on and, and visualize and everything else. And I think, I think as martial artists, we learn that. And, uh, you know, Kevin Thompson's a great example. You know, you, you know, Kevin is, very well and and you know he he's someone that was diagnosed with ALS um we've been teammates forever he actually ended up on the Paul Mitchell team after after uh trans world um he didn't get thrown off the team but <laughs> he uh you know the team you know ended and then we picked him up on the Paul Mitchell team mm -hmm. so he is someone that's been diagnosed with ALS in 2010 I believe it was and a lot of people last a year or two years after getting diagnosed with that. I mean, it's a very aggressive and, and you know, it's, it's a very sad type of disease mm -hmm. to, to get. And he has been so strong. I mean, and, and, you know, I go visit him or he came to our tournament a couple of weeks ago and, 
you know, he's still got that, that smile that can light up the room and, mm. and he's, he's the type of person you, you go to visit him and he'll be like, how's your hips doing? You know, how are you feeling? I, are you, yeah. are you doing what the doctor said? And, mm. and, you know, and I'm like, why are you worried about me? You're the one, you know, he's sitting here and, you know, it's gotten progressively worse. Um, you know, and he's at the point now where it's very, very difficult to understand him. Yeah. So he uses one of the computer screens to uh, use his eyes to be able to type and, and talk to you. Um, I can understand him or read lips and or kind of understand if I can get a word out, then I kind of know where he's going with the conversation because we know each other so well, you know. <laughs> so, um, but it, it is, it's, it's progressively getting worse. But I mean, he has been such a huge spokesperson for ALS. He is, you know, really made, you know, between the, the ice bucket challenge and the mm -hmm. board breaking challenge, challenge yeah. and, and the different things that he's really brought a lot of awareness and the amount of money that ALS has raised in previous years compared to now is, is a huge difference. So, I mean, he, it speaks wonders and, and it's just uh, his mindset, uh -huh. you know, he's not ready to just give up, you know, and, and, and you can see it. I mean, for him, this is like six or seven years later, he is still, you know, still doing very, very well. And, you know, I mean, we're so glad he's that he's, he is. He's a, he is. he's a true champion, heart of a champion. And uh, there's an interview I did with him for the Huffington Post. And uh, it's just amazing. Just at that point, he wasn't as bad. And just hearing him talk about his mindset and just being so positive. Right. You know? I mean, that's what you're talking about. Just that, positive mindset right absolutely absolutely he's he's just so positive about things and and uh, you know I think at first getting it to sink in and stuff he had a rough time mm -hmm. you know but then you know he's just uh everyone has just opened their arms to him and you know they just everyone just loves him so I mean everyone's there to support him and and he's he's just amazing I mean I I look at him and I'm saying, you know, how, how can he have the smile on his face and be so upbeat going through what he's going through? But, you know, that's why he's still here and that's why he's still fighting this so hard. And, uh, you know, he could be using all that energy, sitting home, you know, why me and, and poor me and, you know, I'm not going to be, be here much longer. And, and instead he's using that positive energy to, you know, try to, exercise a little bit the best he can and and focusing on you know the next day and and how he can help als patients and and everything else so yeah how old Let's, was he when he was diagnosed um i would say i would say around 50 mm -hmm. because he he competed in the 50 and up division i believe he was still competing which is amazing. You can be you know, four decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I retired a long time ago and he's still going and still winning it all. I mean, and on the Paul Mitchell team, it was amazing at his age that he would, he would fight like they would have an overall grand championship at, at night and they would have elimination matches to see who the final two would be. And he would fight and he would beat these guys that were in the 20, you know, 18 to 29 division. He would beat them. And it's like, it's amazing. And, and, and then when he would eliminate a couple of guys and then he'd be facing one of the Paul Mitchell guys, he'd be like, all right, good luck. I'm, I'm bowing out to you. You, you guys go for it tonight, you know, <laughs> but he would eliminate some of the guys for him. I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, a, a true martial artist in, mm. in the whole sense. Mm -hmm. Having champions like that, people like that around you in your life. I know that you also studied with Nick Serio and, and other great champions and martial arts uh, instructors, having those people in your life, how has that influenced you? How has that impacted you? I mean, I know I did martial arts from a young age, and that's totally influenced me and impacted my life. So how is that helping with your outlook? And now your kids are doing martial arts, right? They're champions right. as well. So that's got to have a huge impact on them. Can you talk more about that? Well, I have had the privilege, uh, you know, I've studied with my husband, Don, since day one, he's been my instructor in Kempo. Uh, but his instructor was Nick Serio, Professor Serio. 
And so I got a chance to work with him as well. And then uh, Don also started um, going with um, Grandmaster Ed Parker. Mm -hmm. So we had, uh, you know, the training with him as well. And, you know, I was actually tested for some of my degrees under Grandmaster Ed Parker and under Professor Serio. Just for those who don't know, Grandmaster Ed Parker was Elvis Presley's martial arts instructor, right? He was one of the pioneers of the martial arts here in the U.S. as well. Right. And, and then also after, after that, I had also um, did some work with Judge Pizzari with, uh, so Master Pizzari. So those three are like the main Kempo people here in, in the United States. So that was great. Um, you know, just learning from people that have so much experience. And, you know, a lot of those original grandmasters, there's not a lot of them around anymore. You know, I mean, we get into that point where the martial arts started back in you know, here in the States, whatever year it was, um, you know, it was 50s or whatever. 50, yeah, 55, yeah. I think. Uh, I think Master Parker, I think he came here in 55. Right. Don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Somewhere so, around there, though. But, but those type of masters, is a lot of them, you know, they, they're getting much older and, and they're far and few between. And, and, and working with people like that was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started after I made my black belt studying in Wushu. And, uh, you know, I first started off with Clint Hart. And then I um, switched over and started training with Yao Li. Mm-hmm. So Sifu Yao Li, it was, uh, he had me and he had Richard Brandon. Brandon. And uh, Javon Holmes mm-hmm. and... You know, so we had we had the crew of all the wushu people over there and stuff. So, you know, training in another style was was completely different, and and you know, different traditions and stuff in the school. And um, but yeah, I mean, just even just going to seminars, you know, going to a, a Fumio Damara seminar or a, a Mike Stone or um, Hariochai, and you know, just people like that is just to be able to work with someone like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is you know something that I, I will cherish to work with those people. Can you tell us the difference between Kempo and you know the other forms that you're an expert in? Because a lot of people don't understand that there's all these different forms of martial arts. Right. It's it's where they originate from, and you know you have your Japanese karate, you, you have your um, Taekwondo, which originates from Korea and you have uh, um, the Wushu and the Kung Fu and the Tai Chi that originate from China and um, you know and of course uh, American martial arts and and we have all kinds of stuff you know transforming <laughs> there, yeah. extreme martial arts and all kinds of stuff but um, the styles are really uh, you know I mean I always tell people when, when, when someone's asking me and, and of course I'd want to see them come train at my school, but you know, <laughs> when they ask me about martial arts, I'm always like, you know, I think they're all really good, you know, but finding the right instructor is the big thing, you know, mm-hmm. finding a good school with, with the right instructor, whether you're doing judo, which involves a lot of throwing and, you know, very similar to wrestling. Um, the judo techniques, and then you have the jujitsu, which is a lot to do with uh, um, wrist locks and arm bars and, um, you know, different things like that using the joints. Um, you have Aikido, which is... Uh, I took a class before when I was in college. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> That's a very cool system. Um, you know, so they, they all, you know, Taekwondo is, is a lot of kicking, they don't use a lot of upper body with hands and stuff. I mean, they, they, they do punch, but not that much. Um, Kempo, I've always liked Kempo because it's more, it, it's very 50-50 as far as lower body and upper body. It uh, has a lot of self-defense involved mm-hmm. in the system. Mm-hmm. So, so that I think is very important of, uh, you know, can't always just kick someone in the head, you know. I mean, someone chokes, <laughs> someone chokes you up, put you in a headlock, or how to get out of it, and and um, you know. So I mean, I think I think all the styles are very, very good. It, it's the main thing is finding a good instructor that knows what they're doing and teaches practical um, practical moves. Um, you know, we have our more extreme, like you know, 
like wushu, you wouldn't you wouldn't see someone doing a twist and butterfly on someone in the, in a <laughs> in a street fight or uh, the extreme martial artist that you know my son can do. We used to do what was a, a three sixty or a five forty was like wow, you know, and, mm. and he's doing. He's spin. It's eleven something. He spins in the air like you know, four times. Then throws the kick and then lands. I'm like, oh wow. my god! When I ever saw it in slow motion, I, I didn't even appreciate it till I saw it in slow motion. It counted. I was like, oh my god! How do they do that? You know. So, so but that's more of the you know showmanship and and you know I I, I used to love when people would say, you know. Yeah, you're throwing kicks straight up in the air, and you know, but that's not gonna hurt someone on the street, you know. And I'm like, if I could kick straight up in the air, I could kick you in the shin, or you know, snap your leg in a in a heartbeat, you know. I mean, that's easy, you know. If I'm used to kicking that high, you can of course always bring it down. It's just a matter of knowing what's the most practical thing to do in a in a street situation. So, so you've spent a lot of, I mean, most of your life working with men and women very closely, you know, as your teammates. Right. And the biggest thing um, for a reset is your mindset. It's, you know, really having a strong mindset, a balanced mindset, and an excited mindset to do better. Like you said, you always want to get back in there and, you know, work harder and be the best you can be. What is something you learned from working so closely with both men and women that has affected your mindset? Because men tend to think a little differently than women do at times when making decisions, but you're working really closely as teammates. So what could you say that maybe you've learned from them that you've applied in your life that has worked a lot for like your mindfulness and reset moments? Well, I mean, as an instructor, it's very rewarding to see your students achieve different goals that they have and, and see them get beyond obstacles and stuff. And, and, and sometimes you do have to talk to the women a little differently than, than the men, um, you know, and, and, you know, we don't like to, I don't, I don't want to stereotype men, but we, <laughs> we all know, you know, as a, especially as a mom, you get up and you have a head cold or you're sick or something. I mean, you still got to get the kids ready for school and go to work and do everything else. And, <laughs> and the guys are like, I'm dying. <laughs> They're in bed for the day. <laughs> you know. So, so we're kind of used to that. And, and, but we also, as, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, how you deal with the men on certain situations like that and how you talk to them and, and kind of, um, motivate them and stuff, you know, might be a little different, but, you know, I, I think it's very rewarding to, to teach people in the martial arts, how they can achieve anything that they really set their mind to. And they, they see that through the martial arts by going to different belt levels. You know, those are like your short term goals leading up to, uh, your big long-term goal of, of achieving your black belt or becoming a world champion or, or something like that. And so they learn that through the martial arts, but we try to teach them outside the martial arts. It's the same thing. I mean, you, you can't say I'm, I'm going to own, you know, Microsoft and, and, and be the a multi-million billionaire when I, you know, and, and have that as your main, your big goal, but there's no steps to get there. They have to climb that ladder to success and set, set short-term goals and make it realistic where they feel like they're achieving and, check it off their list. Okay, I did that. I did that. I, you know, and I'm on my way. So I, I see people, you know, that really have taken off in their business or in school and really have excelled. Um, I actually just had a, a, a young girl um, that trains with me and she's, uh, she moved out to California the last couple of years and she's going to be coming back again because she, she just got accepted to Harvard. So oh, she's, yeah. Wow. So she's, she's, doing awesome and you know and and competing you know and 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 busy with uh training and stuff but still able you know she got perfect scores on her sats and she's just you know an exceller and and she knows how to put that martial arts focus into her schoolwork as well so i think those things are, are very important and uh you know an, another reset you had mentioned about me having um hip surgery yeah and uh that was definitely a, a, a reset for myself. Um, 
after doing 37 years or 36 at the time of uh, martial arts and just, you know, if you, if you watch me fight, I've always been a kicker. I mean, you know, whether it's fighting or forms, I've always loved kicking. And, and I think I became a kicker because I was always dealing with men. You know, that were like 200 and something pounds. <laughs> so I wanted to keep them away from me and instead of uh, getting inside and, you know, I might yeah. hit them faster and quicker. But if I take one of their punches, I'm like, I could yeah. be knocked out, you know. So so I would use my kicks a lot. And so that definitely took its toll of doing, you know, thousands and thousands of drills and kicks over the years. And, you know, my hips were just shot. and. Mm. You know, so originally that, you know, the doctor said, you know, we were talking about one hip replacement and I was like, okay, I, I, I just want to get back and be able to do what I do, you know, so fix mm -hmm. it. I don't care how you have to fix it, fix it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I said, you know, you think you, I could go back to work after like a week after surgery? And he says, uh, maybe you could with, you know, she kind of got a feel of what type of person I was and okay. very driven. And he says, but, you know, you got to take it easy. And, you know, he can't be demonstrating a week off surgery. And so then all of a sudden, my other hip just started to kill me. And mm -hmm. so, you know, and, it, and it's a little bit of the compensating. But, you know, mm -hmm. he said on the x-rays, both hips look identical on the x-ray. You just weren't wow. complaining about that one. So I didn't say anything about it, you know. Um, but they both look identical on the x-rays. You, you know, it was only a matter of time that you were going to stop feeling it in the other hip. Hmm. So he says, I can do both hips at the same time. And most doctors do not like to do double hip replacement. They usually, everyone that I know that have had both hips, you know, there's maybe one person that I know that has had both of them done at the same time. Everyone else, they do it separately. So he said, I can do it at the same time. And I said, Okay. May as well get it done. <laughs> Is there any difference around recovery? And <laughs> he said, you know, just the first week or so is going to be tough. So I'm like, well, if it's still going to take me, you know, so much, so many, um, you know, months to get back on my feet, and it's not any different, why would I want to go back and do this again after after doing it? You know, right. one time. You know, you get off the crutches and everything, and you go back and you have it done again. Now you're back on crutch. I'm like, oh, forget that. Do it all together. So I said, can I uh, go back to work after, you know, can I go back to work after a week, you know? And he says, we were talking about one hip before, not two. <laughs> He's like, you're getting double hip replacement. He says, we'll talk about it after when you come back, to your, get your stitches out. We'll, we'll see how you're doing. And my mindset was, you know what? I know people that have gone back to work, you know, four weeks into it, you know, after a hip replacement. And I know I'm having double, but I'm a martial artist. So I got to be, you know, 10 times better than anybody else. You know, I mean, I got to be in better shape mentally. I'm focused. I'm ready to go back. And, and I think I can do it, you know, I mean, you know, so, but you have to have that fine line. We're used to dealing with, you know, no matter how much pain you have, you do another push no up. Pain, no gain. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Do another push up until your arms collapse or, or something like that. But, you know, you can't do that when you're coming off a recovery. You can't push yourself when you're in pain like that because your body's telling you for a reason. But I did. I went back to work. I had surgery on a Friday, and I went back the following Monday, So not three days later, but the, the week after. So um, it was very difficult, but I did it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I had the surgery done because it just – now I'm back kicking and oh, doing it. How do you feel now? You feel 100%? I feel 100% except for my flexibility. It definitely, you know, is tighter in there in the, in the joint. And, you know, for six months, I wasn't really supposed to push it. So mm. they didn't want you, you know, because you, you could get a hip dislocation or, or whatever. So, you know, you have to take it easy. So, you know, I was kind of. And before I had hip surgery, forget it. I mean, my hip would lock if I stretched. So it had been a while since, you know, so now it's, I'm just working on it and trying to get my flexibility back and stuff. But speed and power and timing and everything is, is right there. It's just, you know, not kicking straight up in the air right now. So I'll get it back, hopefully. <laughs> so what are three tips you would give our audience um, who are looking to do a reset that you would think that would be helpful for them? Uh, I think writing your goals down, 
you know, what you want to accomplish. So sometimes if you have it written down, you, you know, you're more apt to uh, remember what it is, you know, have it pinned up in your office or in your car or wherever that these are my goals. This is what I want to do. And then, you know, deciding how you're going to reach that goal. So, you know, you can't just have goals, but not be moving towards them every day. So, you know, baby steps, um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to run a marathon tomorrow. You know, you gotta, you gotta start, you know, running a couple miles and building and building, you know, for whatever that goal might be, but, but you can't just sit on your butt and decide, okay, tomorrow I'm going to, you know, or next week I'm going to do the marathon. You know, you, you have to keep mo moving forward towards that goal. So, so writing, writing your goals down, but also starting to take those baby steps towards that goal. And, uh, you know, just keeping that focus, um, you know, not getting sidetracked. And, and, you know, sometimes it's negative people you could be around, you know, and, and, and you need, and we all have those people that mm -hmm. you're afraid to say, hey, how was your day? Because, you know, you're just going to hear, oh, my car broke down, and this happened, that happened, and it's like, oh, why did I ask, you know? <laughs> like, not to ask. Yes. And, and some people like that you can't avoid because whether they're related or they're, you know, a student, you're trying to get them out of that kind of attitude, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. some people that are like, but there's some people out there that, you know, you can avoid. And, you know, staying away from the negativity and the drama and everything else would, mm -hmm. you know, stay around people that have the same type of goals or, or same mindset that you have. And I think that is definitely someone that can encourage you and, and coach you or, or just, you know, be there for you and push you when you get down because, ah, uh, you know, I, I failed again, you know, but failure is, is just, you know, it's on your way of hitting that goal. I mean, anyone who is a big success has failed a gazillion times, you know, <laughs> and then that finally they reached that point and, and didn't fail and, and reached what they wanted to do. Yeah. It's amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on. It was fascinating. I learned a thank lot. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Chris, before we go, tell everybody about your school. Tell them about your tournament as well, right? And if, is there okay. a website where they can find you? Yes. Um, I, I do have a, a Facebook page uh, that's a, a Christine Bannon Rodriguez page on Facebook. And um, the school page is, is Don Rodriguez Karate Academy. And our school is here in Warwick. We're, we're not far, Warwick, Rhode Island. We're not far from the airport. Easy access on the highway, and uh, we have classes here, you know, morning, afternoon, and evening, and we teach kids from three years old up through adults. I have uh, one of my best black belt instructors is in his is 70, so, you know, wow. so we have them all the, way, all the way through all the different age groups, but we teach karate, Kempo karate, and I also teach Krav Maga. And then I also teach kickboxing here. So whether it's just you want to get in shape and do some fitness training or, you know, you could do the kickboxing. But if you want to learn the art and, and try to earn your black belt and stuff, we do karate. Um, so that's a little bit about our school. It's, uh, you know, not everyone is here trying to be a world champion. Some people have no interest in competing, but they want to just better themselves and, and earn their black belt and, and, you know, know the art well. And as far as our tournament goes, our tournament is the Ocean State Grand Nationals. And we just ran that two weeks ago, the week before Easter, and uh, here in Rhode Island. And we draw from all over the world. We have competitors from all over that come in. And uh, the talent level is just amazing. And it's a three-day event because, unfortunately, in Warwick, we don't have a huge convention center here in Warwick. And we use a hotel uh, at the Crown Plaza and we run underbelts on Sunday and we concentrate Friday and Saturday on black belts. So that is every April that we have it. Next year will be in 2018. It will be the 6th, 7th, and 8th of April. And that website is OceanStateGrandNational.net. And there's no F on the end of, of national. So it's... Um, most of that information that's up there was about this past tournament, but as we get closer, we'll have the, 
the new info for next year's event. And do you have any social media that we could follow you on, our audience? Uh, yep. Yeah, um, like I said, the uh, uh, Christine Bannon Rodriguez on Facebook, and then also uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Okay. So. Okay, great. Well, thank awesome. you, thank you. This was amazing. Yes, thank you, Christine. Yeah. It was awesome having you on. It was an thank honor. You. Real and, honor. And Jackie, for our audience, reset because, because you, you deserve, deserve it. it. Thank you.